Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hello Wants to Know podcast, Hello Veux Savoir. Today, I am with Rick Strassman. Good morning, Dr. Rick Strassman. Uh, good morning, Eloise. Nice to be on your show. Nice uh, to have you. Thanks for accepting my invitation. And that was so quick. I was really surprised how fast you were <laughs> to get back to me. Um, let me introduce you. Um, so you are a clinical research psychiatrist, clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the University of New Mexico. And you're also a best-selling author of this book I have right here, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, that's been translated to French. It's called DMT, La Molecule de l'Esprit. And you're also, it says on your website, and I like this one, that you're the father of the American psychedelic research renaissance. And I'd like you to explain how you played such an important part in this renaissance. Well, our study in Albuquerque at the University of New Mexico was the first new human research with psychedelic drugs in a generation. Um, after the passage of the Controlled Substances Act in the U.S. and comparable international legislation, uh, Schedule One studies ended you know, pretty much because of the burdensome you know legal requirements uh, to perform um, any new studies you know so the funding dried up researchers returned their drugs um, and it was pretty much a vast wasteland for the next 20 years in terms of human research um, you know basic science research you know, continued and all the discoveries regarding serotonin actually and antidepressants and the new generation of antipsychotics uh, you know, developed, you know, building on the pharmacology of the psychedelics, but there were no comparable human studies to confirm or refute what was being discovered in lower animals. Uh, so um, I uh, was interested in looking for a biological component of altered states of consciousness um, and began looking at melatonin in the pineal gland uh, in the mid-1980s. Uh, and um, after determining that melatonin was only sedating, uh, in the meantime, I had learned about uh, DMT or dimethyltryptamine, um, which is uh, you know, profoundly psychedelic and also is you know, made in the human body like melatonin. And so I changed you know, course and began uh, you know, studying DMT, which we uh, began giving in 1990. Um, we completed that study in 1995. Um, I um, also began studying psilocybin at around, uh, you know, 93, 94 or so, you know, so um, we established the regulatory you know, framework uh, of interaction between the state, local and uh, you know, federal agencies, you know, which all, you know, subsequent American studies uh, um, have, you know, since followed. Uh and for those who are not familiar with DMT, you just gave a brief explanation of what that is. But can you go a little bit more in depth to explain what DMT is and even psilocybin you just mentioned? Uh, sure. Um, well, DMT, as I mentioned, stands for dimethyltryptamine. Uh, it's a relatively simple molecule, not much larger than blood sugar or, um, or glucose. Um, and... Uh, it's you know widely distributed in the natural world in plants um, and in animals, um, including humans. Mm -hmm. um, it's a chemical cousin of serotonin and of melatonin. Um, it 
is the visionary ingredient in ayahuasca, which is a popular Amazonian psychedelic brew out there. Um, and uh, over the last few years, uh, there's been uh, some recent discoveries about it you know, being produced in the brain, you know, rather than the pineal gland, you know, which is, you know, fine with me, the you know, pineal gland, you know, theory, you know, was a theory. Um, yeah, so there it, is a theory that the, that it's been made in the pineal gland. Now we don't think that anymore. Well, it's more equivocal, you know, than it, you know, was uh, um, initially, um, you know, in the DMT book, I speculate about a pineal, you know, role of, you know, synthesizing DMT. Um, you know, that's because of the, you know, venerated position of the pineal within esoteric physiologies. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, circumstantial data, you know, supporting a you know, pineal, you know, site of synthesis. And a paper came out in 2013, uh, you know, describing, you know, the presence of DMT in the fluid around the pineal gland of the living rodent. Uh, you know, but a uh, you know, subsequent study from the same groups, uh, you know, six years later in 2019, you know, suggested, you know, that um, it's, it's um, you know, the brain that makes DMT. And uh, in that original pineal study, it was, you know, brain tissue, which contained the DMT, which they measured, you know, rather than from uh, the pineal gland. Um, you know, so the interesting you know, thing about that, you know, 2019 study, is that concentrations of DMT are as high in the brain as for well-known neurotransmitters like serotonin and like dopamine. So wow. it you know, points you know, to a you know, potentially uh, you know, fundamental role of DMT uh, in the brain, perhaps even as a neurotransmitter. So I guess the, the, the levels of DMT that we are making are not psychedelic, though. They're just... Well, Can we do that? You know, it depends what you mean by psychedelic. Uh, if you know DMT, you know, regulates our you know, perceptual reality, then perhaps you know we are all in a, you know, like a, a you know, low-level DMT experience, you know, mediated by ongoing you know, you know production of um of DMT. You know, but you know, strictly speaking, um, yeah, you know, concentrations are within you know, tolerable range to maintain consensus reality. You know, theoretically, if increases occur in brain levels of DMT, you might see things like, um, you know, non, uh, you know, drug-related altered states like dreams, mm -hmm. psychosis, you know, near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a very interesting aspect of that recent study is that, um, you know, concentrations of DMT increase at death in experimental yeah. uh, you know, heart attacks um, in rodents. And it increases, especially in the visual cortex. Uh, you know, so that's an extra piece of evidence, you know, supporting the notion that, you know, DMT elevations, you know, play a role in, you know, the visual phenomenon anyway of the near-death state. That, that is, you said so many things there that are so interesting um, and near-death experiences in, in themselves are just very, very interesting. And I know you've been talking about them, um, but I'm still trying to, st I struggle because we talk so much about the pineal gland being, you know, where the spiritual awakening happens. And um, I want to make sure that I really understood you. You're saying that this might not be where 
this happens when we experience some mystical experience uh, with psychedelics, this is not necessarily in the pineal gland that this happens. Am I correct? Right, right. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It still is an open question. Okay. Um, you know, people live normal lives without a pineal gland. So uh, you can extract pineal gland? Uh, if you have a tumor of the pineal, it has to be removed. Uh, if you have, uh, you know, uh, if you have a stroke uh, of the pineal gland, uh, it's, you know, it's abolished. So how um, do you cope with that not having a pineal gland? How does it affect your life? Uh, well, you know, not that much, apparently. Uh, right. Yeah, you know, the, you know, it's, it's been, you know, some time since I've, you know, looked in, in, into the, you know, pinealectomy, uh, uh, you know, literature, you mm -hmm. know, but, uh, you know, when melatonin was, you know, first discovered, and, you know, there was a you know, big interest in the human you know, physiology of melatonin, uh, you know, there were on a hand, uh, there were a handful of uh, you know, clinical reports of, you know, people without, you know, pineal glands. And, you know, they studied them to some extent. And, you know, the main problem seemed to be, uh, you know, circadian rhythm disturbances. Okay. Um, and especially with respect to accommodating um, the, the uh, you know, jet lag, you know, symptoms which occur with, you know, time zone travel. Yeah. And that would make sense because this is where melatonin is made, right? In the uh, pineal gland? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 The main hormone, you know, uh, you know, product of the pineal is melatonin. Gotcha. Um, so, in your studies, you managed to explore um, some spiritual ground, which is very fascinating as a scientist to try to gauge uh, spiritual experiences, because it seems that with DMT. Um, a lot of people have spiritual or mystical experiences and why is that how do you explain that well how do you explain spiritual experiences from dmt um well you know um if naturally occurring spiritual experiences uh are associated with brain chemistry you know, changes which only makes sense like if you're you know, meditating in a cave for years if you've been you're praying uh, if you're in a group with you know drumming um, you know, near-death states, you know, all those have spiritual components. Uh, there's extreme emotions, there's visions, um, there's voices, uh, there's new insights, um, out-of-body states. Um, you, you know, there have to be, you know, physical, you know, correlates of that, of those, you know, profoundly altered states. So um, it only makes you know sense if you give the same you know drugs or chemicals that are elevated in you know non-drug states that you can replicate or you can mimic uh, the effects of the non-drug you know kinds of of, of spiritual uh, experiences which occur without drugs. And you can you explain how we how we take DMT? I know in your experience this was with IV. Um, and this, this is very short, uh, trip. So can you explain a little bit how technical this, this is to take DMT? Uh, sure. Um, well, so DMT was, you know, first, uh, you know, found in, uh, you know, psychedelic plants, uh, you know, from the Amazon. Um, like and, ayahuasca, uh, right? Like ayahuasca and, you know, some of the snuffs, which, okay. uh, you know, the indigenous, uh, you know, folks use in the Amazon, um, so 
it was you know first discovered to be psychedelic in Budapest, Hungary, and uh, on the 1950s. Uh, Stephen Jara was I'm a psychiatrist I'm in Hungary. You know back then was interested in DMT, and he took it orally. You know like you know like LSD or like psilocybin. Uh, you know, but oral DMT had no effect. Um, and so he you know, hit upon the idea of, well, maybe it needs to be injected. Um, and so he injected himself intramuscularly uh, and, you know, discovered it was, uh, you know, quite profoundly psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so then, you know, that opened up, uh, you know, the era of, you know, clinical research with, uh, um, with DMT mm-hmm. and all of those, uh, you know, studies other than just, you know, maybe one or two, you know, gave it intramuscularly. Um, on the street, though, when it became um, a drug of abuse, it was always kind of a you know, minor drug of abuse in the beginning. Um, it was smoked um, or, you know, freebase. You vaporize it and you inhale the vapors. Um, and in either case, intramuscular or smoked, uh, the effects are you know, very fast within a few heartbeats, they peak in a few minutes and you're pretty much, you know, normal within a half hour to 45 minutes. Um, so, um, you know, because my study was uh, a, you know, clinical research, uh, you know, psychopharmacology study, um, you, you know, we needed to standardize as, uh, as many of the you know, factors as we could. And um, if you smoke, uh, if, if you smoke DMT, uh, you cough, you may exactly. not get enough in, who knows what it's doing to your lungs, you know, so, you know, we decided, you know, to use it in the injected form. Mm-hmm. Um, because my you know, funding came from the National Institute of Drug Abuse, um, I wanted, you know, to replicate the, you know, field use of DMT. Um, you know, so we, uh, a small number of our volunteers had smoked, um, you know, the drug um, you know, previously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we brought them in, you know, to compare, you know, the intramuscular route of administration with the smoked because we wanted to replicate the smoked um, effect as carefully as we could. And uh, the first you know, volunteer that we gave IM or intramuscular DMT to, he you know, said, it's not like smoked. It's slower. It mm-hmm. isn't as intense. It's prolonged. It isn't as good. You know, so we just um, immediately uh, you know, switched to the intravenous route. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and all the rest of our uh, studies, you know, volunteers, uh, um, uh, you know, received it int- um, intravenously. Mm-hmm. And um, so let's say now we are in 2024. So you studies uh, were in the 90s, uh, 1990 to 1995, I believe. Right. Um, so... I guess now I would expect it to be more accessible, but we don't really hear about DMT uh, in a therapy. Like if I wanted to go see a therapist and experience DMT, how accessible is it? Well, you know, on the psychedelics overall are still not, you know, really available as you know, psychotherapeutic aids. I'm at least above board. Um you know, most of the studies uh, have used you know, psilocybin, 
yeah. a small which which you know which occurs in magic mushrooms um a smaller number are using lsd which was you know the main you know drug used um, early on in the first wave of human research you know dmt still is a bit you know, player, uh, you know, when it comes to being studied within the research environment as a, you know, psychotherapeutic agent, you know, there's a group or a, you know, pharmaceutical company um, in England, Small Pharma, um, which is using DMT in some depression studies. Mm -hmm. And there is a paper came out of Yale a couple of years ago using it for depression as well. Um, you know, there's more studies using ayahuasca. I'm actually in mm -hmm. Brazil. Um, as an antidepressant, anti-anxiety agent, anti-substance abuse agent, mm. uh, it's a but 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 you know still it's a you know relatively niche you know compound, mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, one is if you're doing psychotherapy uh, along with the intoxicated state, you know the DMT um, effect is so brief and you know so mm -hmm. debilitating that you really can't interact with you know, the patient, uh, you know, when they're under the influence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other is that it's just too weird. Um, you, you, it isn't, you know, going to, you know, give you like a mystical experience uh, of, um, you know, um, insights into your past or mm -hmm. emotional breakthroughs or thing. It transports you into this world of light where there are these beings that interact with you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that is the most unique aspect of the DMT experience. And, you know, to the extent that those kinds of things occur within other psychedelic states like psilocybin or like LSD, it's either, you know, not as common or almost downplayed in order to mainstream it more readily than might you know, be the case with a more consistent, um, strange, you know, quality of the DMT world. You just mentioned the beings. Um, that's a very interesting part, and uh, uh, we can we can go there. I wanted to go maybe later, but you just mentioned them, so I think a lot of people will be having a question mark, like what are those beings, and um, what are these experiences? Like, can we assume that they're hallucinations, or are they real, in your opinion? Well, you know, they're real in the mind. You know, they're as convincingly real as everyday reality. And in fact, one of the most common refrains I heard from our volunteers when they came out of the DMT state, you know, was it, you know, was, you know, that, you know, that state, that experience felt more real than real. Uh, you know, that, you know, more real in everyday reality, you know, more convincing, more meaningful, more containing truth. Wow. Um, you know, which is, strange you give it you give a drug it starts working in a few heartbeats and you're in this completely alien world that you feel is more real than this world you know it's, it's a very strange thing yeah um, and especially it's strange that our brain you know uh you know produces you know this chemical um you know but you know be that as it may uh you know one of the you know features of the dmt state which you know, feels you know so real is you know contact with these beings or entities or you know whatever you would like to call them mm -hmm. um yeah and you know they can take all kinds of uh you know forms um and shapes um uh, you know like you know furniture robots humanoids bees ants uh you know cactus um machines, all kinds of things. Uh, 
Yeah, and you know they communicate. You know they interact with the observer. Um, they seem you know powerful. Uh, they seem you know sentient. You know they're intelligent and aware. Um, yeah, you know so. You know what are they? Uh, where yeah. do they reside? Uh, what's their nature? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we just don't really know. Um, I think the more expedient approach would be to just you know, generically um, describe them as being you know previously invisible, uh, and you know they appear. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm under the influence. I'm of DMT. Uh, and obviously, you know, they are, you know, the result of, uh, you know, changes in our brain chemistry, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, whether it's, you know, completely or, you know, solely the result of a change in our brain chemistry, or if the brain chemistry, you know, now allows us to perceive freestanding objective realities that we, you know, normally, uh, you know, can't, you know, like a microscope or a telescope, Yeah. you know, that is just, you know, you know, that's just hard to say. Right. Um, you know, there are some st- uh, some st- some studies. You, you know, one in London and one in Basel, Switzerland, uh, which are uh, using an extended uh, infusion of DMT, like you know, thirty minutes or a half hour or even ninety minutes. Yeah. And you you know, one of the uh, you know goals of those you know, studies is to um, expand and extend and you know, prolong you know contact with the beings, uh, mm-hmm. you know to interact them, you know to interact with them, you know without the you know time pressure of just, interruption that always comes. Yeah, otherwise you're just in that state for you know two to five minutes, and you orient yourself and you start communicating and you start coming down. Hmm. Uh, you know, so with a more extended state, um, you can interact with the beings. Uh, in a more, you know, leisurely manner, so to speak. So it's being studied right now. Uh, I'm wondering, is does that mean that these beings are being encountered every single time we are on DMT or is it just random? Uh, I'd say more often than not. Really? Okay. So it was like something that you, you encounter on a regular basis while doing your research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, in your book, you mentioned the word, Reptilian, because some people reported to you that they they had experiences with reptilian. And this is a trigger word to me. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one because it sounds so <laughs> far-fetched and so uh, so wild. Um, and I wonder, as a scientist, how challenging was it for you at first to accept what you were uh, receiving from your patients and to actually write about it? And how was it received by your peers at first? Uh-huh. Well, you, you know, the reptilian aspect is, is you know, strange, obviously. Um, it isn't infrequently reported either. You know, there were two, you know, striking cases of reptilian encounters in our study. You know, one was, um, you know, somebody encountering these, you know, reptilian things. And, you know, they opened up their, you know, their bodies and, you know, demonstrated, uh, you know, reproduction. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is how it works. Um, you, you know, the other was more terrifying. Uh, it was, um, it was a volunteer who was pinned, you know, by alligators or, you know, by crocodiles and was anally raped, cool. you know, by them. 
Wow. You know, so, you know, that was obviously horrifying. He dropped out of the study. He got a little freaked and we had to, uh, you know, you know, do some therapy with him over the next you know, few weeks or a month, yeah. uh, you know, and, you know, he recovered and was, you know, fine. He stopped doing drugs, you know, that's for sure. Okay. You know, but, uh, yeah, you know, so it, it could be, you know, very, uh, you know, benevolent in, um, encounter with, with reptilian beings or, you know, horrifying. Um, you know, you know, reptiles are alien. Uh, you know, you know, if you're, you're looking for um, a metaphor within the natural, uh, you know, world, you know, for strange things, you know, reptiles are your best candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got eyes and you know mouths and you know noses. You know, but they're cold-blooded. They're scaly. They look strange. Yeah. You know, so you know, one could you know, say. It's, you know, the brain's attempt to communicate to you a certain, you know, quality of information. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the quality of, you know, that information is very unusual, slightly scary, you know, very alien. Right. You know, so, you know, that could be, you know, one of the, you know, ways to understand, you know, the presence um, of, you know, reptilian you know, beings in altered states. Um well, so how did I, you know, deal with these stories? Uh, yeah. yeah, it wasn't easy at first. You know, like I interviewed, you know, 19 you know, people before starting the study, uh, you know, people who had smoked, you know, DMT, you know, regularly and were, you know, familiar with the experience, you know, because I wanted um, a sense of what to expect. Right. Um, and it was a very you know, frequent refrain from the volunteer, uh, you know, from these informants that, you know, be prepared to meet, you know, you know, for your, uh, you know, for your subjects, you know, to report encounters with beings. And, you know, so um, I wrote it down and I even, you know, put, you know, some questions in our questionnaire about encountering beings. Yeah, but I was unprepared, you know, to be honest, for how, you know, frequently those reports uh um, you know, came back, uh, you know, from the volunteers, you know, so, uh, um, at first I was skeptical, uh, like as a, you know, psychopharmacologist, as a, you know, Freudian psychiatrist, um, as a Zen Buddhist, I was, you know, looking at all of those reports as, uh, you know, something other than what they were, you know, they were like dreams or, you know, they were yeah. repressed impulses or drives mm-hmm. or they were, you know, Maya on the way, you know, towards your, you know, Kensho of, you know, uh, you know, formless enlightenment or even archetypes, uh, even though I don't really, you know, count myself as a Jungian, but, but still, um, you know, they were other than, you know, the reality that the participant had, you know, just entered into. And even though I was, you know, keeping a straight face and I was, you know, friendly and inquisitive, um, I think, you know, people were you know, picking up on my skepticism. Yeah. Uh, and after a while, I just you know, had to, you know, you know, perform a thought experiment, which entailed you know, believing the reports at face value. Mm. Um, in which case, you know, the volunteers became more you know comfortable with you know disclosing you know the, the most interesting aspects of their encounters. Right. Um, you, you know, so I. You know, wrote the book, you know, DMT, the spirit molecule, because I knew I was on top of a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the first new study in the U.S. in a generation. You know, there are all kinds of, you know, characters and intrigue and all things, you know, like, you know, the government, the men in the black suits, 
um, you know, the volunteers, uh, you know, DMT, the experiences themselves, you know, the religious aspects, um, you know, why uh, uh, the studies ended, all those things. Um, and, um, you know, I just wanted to tell the story, you know, <laughs> you know nuts and bolts, uh, like from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, by then I, you know, wasn't in, uh, you know, um, I wasn't at the university anymore. Um, I had no grants, no, you know, no funding, you know, no permits. So I figured I could just, uh, you know, tell, you know, the entire story. Right. You know, one part of the story, which still I think is important for, you know, people, you know, looking at this, you know, field is um, I was very uh, upfront, you know, very honest about, you know, the adverse effects which occurred in the study. I think right. the chapter is called the dark you know, side um, or you know, something like that, as opposed to the emphasis you know, nowadays on you know, minimizing adverse effects. Mm -hmm. It's you know, very hard to get you know, researchers you know, you know, to you know, freely talk about adverse effects, especially as compared you know, to the you know, miraculous effects of psychedelics. So, I think you know this, you know that that's you know one of the unique aspects of the book. You know, besides just you know letting it all uh, you know hang out with respect you know to the uh, you know stranger experiences you know that people had. Do you do you think that we're talking too much right now about the benefits and not enough about the risks? Um, taking, Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it's sort of like we completely went from one extreme to the other, and now we're just very excited about the psychedelics, and um, there is sort of a trend, I would assume. Um, so what, what are the risks of taking psychedelics? Well, you know, the, um, you know, the outcome um, of any psychedelic experience um, is a combination of the set and the setting and the dose. You know, so, you know, set is, you know, who you are when you take the drug, uh, your mental state, your physical state, your spiritual state, your uh, you know past experiences with these drugs or other drugs your hopes your fears your expectations your intention you know those kinds of things you know the setting is everything else um it's the you know the environment in which you take the drug um inside or outside uh, you know by yourself or with friends or with people you don't know or in a research uh, you know setting or for psychotherapy you know creativity spiritual growth um, it also includes, you know, the set of the people around you. Um, you know, what do they think about psychedelics? You know, what do they hope is is you know, going to happen? Uh, you know, how will they interact with you? I'm under the influence. I'm in the dose, small, medium, or big. You know, so um, if you're not prepared, if you're mentally unstable, if you've been using other drugs, if you're around people that you don't know or don't like, uh, you know, then you you might become anxious, you might become paranoid, you might become depressed, you might become suicidal. You know, those are all you know brief things which occur within the state itself. Usually, they resolve within you know, 24 hours after the effect um, of you know the drug is worn off. You, you know, sometimes it, you know you know those you know can last longer. You know, let's say you know 24 to 48 hours. Uh, in which case you would you know, probably you know, seek some help from, yeah. from friends, you know, family. Uh, I'm a trusted therapist or a, 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 a you know, cleric or you know, spiritual advisor. 
you know, uh, uh, you know, anything else which you know lasts um, over forty-eight hours, you need help. You know, like if you're really depressed, if you can't get out of bed, you're thinking about killing yourself or you know jumping out a window. If you're still hearing voices, if you're still having visions, if you're confused, if you're anxious, you, um, you need help. You know, so you know that could be. Uh, you know, like an emergency room visit. I mean, obviously, in a, a you know supportive environment, uh, you know, medication, even like a you know, minor tranquilizer, you know, major tranquilizer, even hospitalization. You know, the first article you know that I wrote about psychedelics was adverse effects of psychedelics. It came out in 1984. You know, because I knew that the objection I would receive in applying to study psychedelics would be you can't give them safely. You know, what about all these, you know, psychedelic, you know, casualties, you know, from the 60s and, you know, the 70s. And, you know, um, I read hundreds of papers, um, you know, case, you know, cases, you know, collections um, of cases, interviews with, uh, you know, former research, you know, volunteers. Um, and I, you know, concluded, you know, that if you screen people carefully, if you supervise their experiences carefully, and if you, uh, 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 you know, follow them up carefully, you know, the risk um, of adverse effects, you know, was acceptable, like 1%, under 1%. Yeah, okay. um, you know, but still a lot of people, you know, but, uh, you know, still if 1 million people take, uh, uh, you know, fully, you know, psychedelic, you know, dose of you know, psilocybin or of LSD, you know, what's, you know, one percent of of a million. It's like uh, you know, ten thousand people. That's a you know, lot. That's, you, know, th you know, that's you know, ten thousand adverse effects, which are going to require you know some intervention. Um, yeah, you know, so um, I think it you know, behooves you know the research uh, you know, community you know to not you know paper over adverse effects. If you know they occur, they ought to be stated you know clearly and understood you know, psychological autopsies for, you know, suicides or, you know, mm -hmm. severe, you know, psychosis, you know, but you, you know, but you just, you know, really don't see that uh, in, you know, the research literature. It's, you know, very hard, uh, you know, to, you know, get a you know, sense of what is actually, you know, going on that's not so great, uh, you know, within, uh, you know, the psychedelic you know, research world. Why is that? Well, you know, people, you know, uh, they uh, are, you know, driven, you know, by, uh, you know, the wish, you know, to help mm -hmm. and, you know, the wish to become successful and get, you know, grants and write papers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's also a you know, messianic, you know, quality, I think, that even uh, influences, you know, the research, uh, you know, community. Um you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of, you know, the arguments um, as well is, well, you know, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, get these, uh, you know, drugs um, out in, uh, um, into, um, into the mainstream as much as possible. And once, you know, the adverse effects begin accumulating, we can deal with them then. Um, mm -hmm. As opposed to you know, being uh, you know, proactive, you know, I don't think you know that's an especially you know moral um, or ethical approach. And, but it's uh, not uncommon. We see that a lot. That's right. That's right. You, you know, um, it's easier to ask you know for forgiveness you know, than permission, right? So, 
you know, you know, once things, uh, uh, you know, go south, um, you could say, oh yeah, you know, right. And let's start, you know, talking about adverse effects. Mm-hmm. You know, the media, there's going to be um, a backlash, you know, saying, well, you know, why didn't you tell us about these things early on? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people are, are, uh, are going to need to exp- uh, exp- exp- explain themselves. You know, there are a smattering of papers, you know, coming out, like, for example, a few days ago or a week or so ago, you know, there was a, you know, paper describing the increase in, you know, calls to poison control uh, of, you know, psilocybin, you know, mushroom, you know, problems of, you know, kids especially, you know, coming into, you know, uh, you know, to uh, on emergency rooms. Um, and, you know, uh, I think with, you know, the legalization and increased access, um, which is being, uh, you know, pushed you know, by activists, uh, you know, there's only going, you know, there is only going to be, uh, you know, more um, and more accumulation of adverse effect reports. So you talk about legalization of psilocybin. Is it legalized in... Western world? I'm, I'm not aware of that. Well, you know, Colorado and Oregon and a you know, number of, of you know, cities um, have, you know, decriminalized uh, mm-hmm. you know, psilocybin and other compounds. You know, whether, you know, they're illegal or, um, or not is, you know, is, you know, kind of um, a gray area. You know, they remain Schedule I, uh, you know, substances, um, uh, um, according, uh, you know, t- you know, to U.S. you know federal law, you know. So um, I think you know the feds are um at this point you know keeping a you know wait and see attitude about you know how things you know go. But it's you know it's you know clearly the case you know that you know there are increased emergency room visits, you know you know probably hospitalizations, although you know those data aren't out there yet, and adverse effects. You know integration. Yeah. You know, in uh, um, in um, in integration therapy is a you know growth field you know within you know psychology now, and if you speak you know to integration therapists who you know work in the field, you know they have you know horror stories. They're just overwhelmed by the you know the trauma that you know people are experiencing from you know poorly supervised or ill-advised you know psychedelic experiences. Well, and that was my question early on. Um, it seems not accessible at this point to work with uh, psilocybin or psych- psychedelics in general. Uh, I saw a documentary in Quebec not so long ago, and they were saying that they're starting to explore uh, psilocybin with some people. Uh, example, they have severe depression or PTSD, and they tried everything. And like last resort is psilocybin. So it's it's not very common that you see someone, a therapist, working with um, psychedelics, uh, even though we know that it can be very helpful. So um, I feel the danger with that is that there is like a strong trend. People are becoming more and more interested in trying them, but it's hard to do it in a safe space. So they will explore it on their own. And this is where it becomes dangerous, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, uh, you know, there is no question that you know, psychedelics in the right you know, set of you know, circumstances you know, can be very helpful. Yeah. You know, you know, as you mentioned, you know, for PTSD, for depression, for anxiety, for end of life despair, 
mm-hmm. you know, cigarette dependence, alcohol dependence, you know, cocaine, opiates, methamphetamine, you know, the list goes on. Um, you know, so, you know, so in the proper hands with the right screening, supervision, um, and follow-up, yeah, you know, they're really quite helpful in a way that other uh, you know, treatments are not. Uh, you, you know, so there's a, you know, there's um, a couple of, you know, caveats, though. Um, you know, one is that uh, just, you know, taking them on your own when you're depressed can be, you know, problematic. A few months ago, you know, there was that Alaska Airlines pilot um, who was depressed, you know, took psilocybin and never really came down. And he almost, really? you know, crashed a plane, uh, you know, wow. that he was in the, you know, cockpit of. Um so is it you like know, a psychosis? So, how, uh, how yeah, you- well, you know, uh, you know, the diagnosis um, is, you know, dissociation, you know, derealization. He, he, you know, felt that he was in a dream hmm. after he you know, came down from the acute effects of the drug, and he, you know, hitched a ride uh, on this flight. Um, and was in the cockpit, uh, and he, th- I mean, he thought if he crashed the plane, he would wake up from the nightmare. Wow, um, that was his mindset. That was his mindset. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and you know, thankfully, you know, the pilot and you know the co-pilot just you know pushed him aside and you know got things you know back in order. But uh, you know, if if you're depressed and you take you know, psychedelics by yourself in an unstable or unfriendly environment, you can have, you know, something that extends out, you know, beyond the acute effects of the drug, like in this guy's case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, you know, one problem is if you have a real disorder and you just, you know, treat yourself or you're in a very sketchy situation with a shaman or a spiritual healer who is unethical and, Mm -hmm. you know, really doesn't know what they're doing. You know, the other is the you know, tendency to take, you know, psychedelics for increased well-being and spiritual growth. Yeah. You, you know, so there's, you know, one, you know, um, on one hand, uh, in PTSD or, you know, depression, for example, you're, um, you're treating uh, um, a, uh, you know, medical, uh, you know, condition, um, you know, which is, uh, you know, quite resistant, uh, you know, to treatment. And you, and otherwise you may die, you know, from your drug abuse or your depression, you know, that um, is different than, you know, taking psychedelics for enlightenment. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, you know, one, you know, can you know, make the argument, you know, that, you know, psychedelics, you know, ought to be increasingly um, available within, you know, using, uh, you know, the proper safeguards, you know, guardrails, you know, but, you know, there ought to be, you know, some, you know, kind of yet to be determined, you know, demarcation between your medical use and, you know, self and, you know, self-improvement use, you know, you know, my Zen community and I parted ways over the whole issue of, you know, psychedelics and, and, you know, spirituality. And it, it was a you know, very uh, you know, messy breakup, you know, you know, um, you know, but one of you know, the lessons, you know, which I learned or, you know, which was offered me, you know, which I took to heart, you know, was that it's, you know, one thing, you know, to use, you know, psychedelics, you know, for medical treatment um, and another 
you know, to use them, uh, you know, to seek enlightenment. Hmm. Hmm. Well, someone just wrote in the chat and I, I, I might be wrong, but I think he's a microbiologist. Um, he said, it seems that nature took uh, its own ways of making sure that we can't absorb DMT. Um, and I think that's interesting because it's true. Like ayahuasca is a brew. It has to be mixed with two different types of plants so we can actually retain DMT in our body. Um, and the way, you know, even smoking, it seems so hard. I have friends who tried and they just cough and cough and they couldn't have it in their body. So um, why do you think DMT is just so not naturally and not, it's so hard to take it basically. Maybe it's not a good idea to have DMT. Well, you know, it's, it's in your brain, you know, so yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's an argument I'm against, you know, saying that we, we shouldn't, experience, you know, DMT, you, you know, but, you know, clearly, you know, the concentrations in the brain uh, on an everyday, uh, uh, you know, sort of basis are, you know, much, you know, lower than, you know, pharmacological levels, which occur with us, uh, with smoking or um, injecting, or in the case of ayahuasca. Um, well, you know, it's very, you know, widely distributed within the natural world. There's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands um, of the implants which contain DMT. Hmm. You you know, so I would even argue the opposite, you you know, that, you know, nature is um, inviting us to experience, you know, DMT because it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, it, you know, could be, you know, that, you know, the optimal way um, of taking it is orally, you know, because it's, you know, slower onset, it's more manageable. Um, and, you know, and uh, it was, you know, discovered, you know, by, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, by what you could even call uh, um, a miraculous, um, you know, discovery of the combination of these two plants. You know, there's a lot of plants in the Amazon. Yeah, and you, know, and you know, for the natives, you know, to stumble upon or discover or you know somehow you know figure out that these two plants combined will provide an orally active DMT experience, you know, it you know really uh, uh, you know boggles the mind. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it it you know could be you know that the you know preferred or you know the optimal you know way um, of taking DMT is orally. You, you know, it's a you know typical Western thing extract the active ingredient from the plant and, you know, then inject it, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, so you don't want to argue against that, um, you know, but still, I don't think it, you know, would you know, necessarily, you know, mean we, uh, uh, you know, should avoid um, yeah. you know, DMT. And we talked about the beings, but we didn't talk uh, about the where. So this seems to, you, you mentioned this is like they are being propulsed in, in an other world with a lot of light uh, other beings have been described a lot of many people describe laboratories. Um, you in your book towards the end, you talk about uh, multi- multiverses and parallel dimensions. Um, do you think that there is some kind of portal to other dimensions? Well, you know, it's experienced that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan had me on his uh, program a couple of years ago, and uh, and he said. You know, what do you think, you know, DMT is doing? Mm-hmm. And I said, it, it opens a portal, you know, to things that are you know, previously invisible, which mm-hmm. is, you know, my generic response, you know, nowadays. Uh, you could speculate, you know, that, 
you know, DMT uh, modifies the receiving characteristics of the mind-brain complex in uh, you know such a way you know that we are now able you know to peer into dark matter or parallel universes or the multiverse. You know, like you know, microscopes allow things that are usually um, invisible to become visible. You know the you know the location of the experience is in our mind. You know, there's you know there's no uh, you, know, you know there's no argument about that. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know the source of you know the perceptions or the you know sensations or you know the information. You know, we we just can't really say. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's easier to you know look at a more local source. You know that is our unconscious. Uh, it's you know it's our you know subconscious it's uh, you know things which exist in our mind already you know mm-hmm. dimly aware of or completely you know suppressed um, or repressed in our in our unconscious you know which are you know then you know made available you know you know to our conscious mind under under the influence you know you know the brain imaging. Um, studies which are emphasized you know nowadays in in you know, in you know, studying psychedelics um you know they indicate you know that you know parts of the brain which you know normally do not communicate you know with um, our consciousness now do you know so um you know whether that's a reflection of you know peering into you know, parallel universes or you know simply the contents of the uh, you know, Freudian uh, unconscious uh, uh, um, erupting into consciousness, you know, there isn't any way, you know, to really say right now. Yeah. Eventually, you think there will be a way to say for sure? Well, you know, it you know, could be. Like, you might at you know, some point be able to develop um, a camera or an imaging device which you know, can peer into dark matter, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. In which case you could compare what you see with this camera with what you see on DMT, but uh, yeah, I think we're you know some years you know from that. Well, technology is evolving quite fast. Uh, we never know. We never know. <laughs> um, well, there is, uh, of course, I feel like there's so much to say, and I don't want to take too much of your time. But before we we end this conversation, I'd like to talk about the. So, so there's a lot of crazy stuff when we talk about DMT, but how, how do you think it's a, it could be like a, a tool? And I really ask specifically about DMT in, in someone's life. Like, how can it be used to improve somebody's life? Um, well, you, you know, first, um, I think, you know, you know, we could look at it's, um, it's, you know, medical potential or, you know, psycho, you know, psychological, you know, psychotherapeutic potential. Um, you know, there's increasing uh, amounts um, of data with respect to both, you know, psychedelics overall, but in, but, you know, specifically DMT, you know, that it in, you know, it uh, stimulates both neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. Which, Can you explain what means, that is for those who are not familiar with those things? Yeah, you know, neurogenesis is the production or the conversion of of stem cells into new neurons, uh, and neuro and uh, neuroplasticity is the uh, increased complexity and number of uh, um, of connections um, among uh, nerve cells. Okay. Uh, you, you know, so in 
uh, in uh, in you know the case of most you know, major uh, mental illnesses, you, you know there is you know both um, a decrease in the number of neurons in the brain as well as a you know, decrease in the complexity of their connections. You know so you know you, you know so you know from a you know purely you know biological uh, you know point of view uh you know dmt um as a uh, you know representative uh, you know psychedelic could be useful and you know there's some animal data you know suggesting you know that in conditions of low oxygen that you know dmt you know prevents uh, you know death um of neurons in you know those conditions Oh, um, um, in other words, uh, you know, neurons can survive, you know, longer in conditions of, of you know, low oxygen um, in, you know, the presence um, of DMT. You know, there's also, you know, some animal data, you know, suggesting, you know, that, uh, you, you know, treating experimental stroke um, in animals you know, reduces, uh, 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 you know, you know, the uh, extent of the stroke, you know, the size of the stroke. Um, and it also speeds recovery, you know, from a stroke in experimental animals. Um, you know, so there is increasing interest in using DMT and other compounds, uh, you know, you know, for, uh, you know, brain damage, for mm -hmm. dementias, for, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury, you know, those kinds of things. Fascinating. Um, and you talked just earlier, uh, I forgot a question I had, and I think it's important, um, you know, in ayahuasca um, trips, sometimes very often actually the whole group will experience sort of a collective uh experience like collective visions themes that will be recurring and afterwards when we debrief everyone has experienced somehow the same visions um so when you talk earlier you were talking about you know the subconscious mind and this might be just you know maybe an ex access to this subconscious but how do you explain those phenomenon where a lot of people at the same time experience the same visions? Well, you know, you could look at it, uh, you know, scientifically, you know, metaphysically, um, you know, spiritually, uh, you know, one, uh, you, uh, you know, you know, simple explanation is the response, you know, to the singing, which occurs in an ayahuasca ceremony. You know, the shamans who have been, you know, born and raised in the Amazon, you know, steeped in the tradition, you know, they learned, you know, these songs, Icarus, which stimulate, you know, certain imagery and, you know, certain emotions in, you know, people across the board. You know, so, you know, one, you know, could speculate, you know, that I'm under the influence of, you know, the songs themselves you know, there's, you know, common visions, you know, common feelings, which emerge as a result. You know, Rupert Sheldrake is a biologist, you know, philosopher in England, who's got an idea or has presented the notion of morphic fields. In other words, everybody is, you know, everyone in an ayahuasca, you know, ceremony is, you know, vibrating at a higher level. And, you know, they influence each other. Uh, in that, you know, vibratory, you know, realm. And as a result, you know, they share ex um, um, experiences. Uh, you know, one of my, you know, colleagues um, at a, you know, naturopathic school, I'm in Seattle, you know, uh, in Bastyr University, 
you know, she um, has tried, you know, to put this to the experimental test, you know, like, you know, you know, can you, you know, can you, uh, you know, demonstrate, you know, biological underpinnings of, you know, telepathy, which is, you know, what we're talking about, yeah. uh, you know, shared you know, feelings and you know, visions, um, you know, like if you, um, if you have you know, one person in a scanner and they think or they see you know certain things would another person in the next room in a scanner you know would their uh, uh, you know brains you know synchronize or you know resonate with you know the person who's you know perceiving or you know thinking or experiencing other things and you know so far that hasn't really panned out so okay uh, i think it's you know it it you know still remains mysterious you know the influence um, of the songs, though, you know, seems to me the most, you know, straight, uh, you know, the most uh, you know, straightforward explanation. Yeah, and I, you know, when I listen to what you say, I realize there is still so much to discover. We still don't know much about the human brain. So um, I really want to thank you for your time. I, I'm, I'm going to repeat the title of your book. It was written, as you just mentioned before, we started almost 25 years ago. This is not your most recent. Um, but this is certainly your best-selling book. Um, so this is called DMT, The Spirit Molecule. In French, it's called DMT, La Molecule de l'Esprit. Uh, it has been translated. And um, you have other books. Uh, we can find, find them on Amazon or, I guess, any, anyone who doesn't want to, write, uh, to buy on Amazon, you can find them at any libraries. Um, thanks for your time. Uh, is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap this up? Um, well, let's see. Well, you know, uh, you, you know, speaking of, uh, I, well, I, you know, speaking um, of other, um, other, of other books, um, you know, people can, you know, contact me, I, you know, through my website, rickstrossman.com mm -hmm. and I do, you know, sell books on my website, you oh, know, cool. and I will ins 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 uh, ins inscribe and sign them as well. So would um, you recommend people buy through your website? I guess that's your favorite way to purchase. Uh, sure. You know, it's a few dollars more, but, you know, there's the personal touch, you know, of yeah. uh, an inscription and a signature. Um, yeah. Sweet. You know, so that would be fine. Uh, yeah. And, you know, my new book or uh, my new book, which you know, came out um, a couple of years ago, is, you know, called The Psychedelic Handbook, uh, mm -hmm. which is a you know, short you know, primer of the field i you know written you know by you know someone with uh you know a lot of experience within it yeah and that's great because you don't talk just about dmt but all the psychedelics so uh, i would highly recommend this book as well for those who are curious about this um well thanks for your time it was really interesting and i'm i wish you a very good day for the because it's earlier for you <laughs> the day is just starting right okay well sure and you know, thank you for having me thank you Bye bye